For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Kevin Cusick. It's time for this week's Know Your Foe episode, and we have a great guest for you this week, Miami Dolphins writer Dan Oyafusi. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, great to be back with you. It's uh, it's great to see you back. A regular fixture at camp. Uh, uh, nice guy, always on the sidelines. Always a great smile. Uh, Dan, uh, former Ravens writer, of course. You may remember the name. Uh, did you come to Baltimore to, for the job, or did you did you grow up somewhere else? Or I kind of forget your story. Nah, no, I'm from uh, I'm from Maryland, born and raised. Grew up in Towson. Went to Towson High School, University of Maryland. So I'm Maryland through and through. All right, great. Well, I'm sorry that uh, that uh, you know you couldn't stay here and, and cover it, but you got a good gig down there in in South Florida covering the Dolphins. Uh, tell us a little bit about 
the Dolphins and, and uh, their offseason to begin with in terms of, of how they got to this point. Obviously, the trade for Tyreek Hill has to play into that somehow. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. It was definitely a, a frenetic and a hectic offseason for the Miami Dolphins, you know, on and off the field. You start with the firing of Brian Flores in January, which kind of leads to the hiring of first-time, first-year head coach Mike McDaniel, who was an assistant with the San Francisco 49ers, their run-game coordinator, and then he spent the last season as the offensive coordinator. And he really, that that hiring really set the, set the foundation for the offseason, where, like you said, we saw them trade for Tyreek Hill. I mean, he's really big on speed, Mike McDaniel. He loves speed on offense, on defense, special teams. Um, so that really laid the groundwork. Obviously, they they traded for Tyree Kill. They signed Teron Armstead from the Saints to kind of beef up a, a young offensive line. And they also added a lot of uh, shifty guys on offense, such as running backs Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert, obviously joining Mike McDaniel from San Francisco, and even Cedric Wilson to kind of be their slot receiver. Um, so really, it all starts with Mike McDaniel and his vision for this offense that he's trying to um, kind of craft around third-year quarterback to a Tungle Maloa. So Mostert, just to speak of him, we all know the speed of Waddle and, and of uh, Hill, of course, but Mostert a track star also before he went. And I think he was on the Ravens practice squad at one point. He was. He was, yes. All right. Very good. Uh, so lots of lots of acquisitions. Uh, you know, big move, of course, to get the left tackle, move Liam Eikenberg inside. Uh, Maureen went to Notre Dame, so we watched him play a little bit there. I, I did not think it was going to work out at tackle. I thought he would for sure move to guard in the NFL due to arm length. Yeah. Uh, there, not, that, not that there aren't other issues as well, but but uh, uh, hopefully that's going better this year. Uh, talk a little bit about who is in a kind of a key contract year right now. Well, I guess you got to start with Mike Gusecki, who was an un- who was slated to be an unrestricted free agent this past offseason, um, entering you know his fifth year. But the Dolphins placed a franchise tag on him, so he's making about fourteen or so million dollars. Um, there was a lot of questions about his future in Miami. There continues to be questions about his future in Miami, just because of the fit in this Mike McDaniel offense. You know, it's a it's a Shanahan style offense that requires tight ends to line up more in line do more blocking. The first four years of Mike Gusecki's career, he's really been like a glorified big slot receiver. I mean, he's lined up out wide and in the slot for the most part. For the most part. Um, so in training camp, there was a bit of a struggle, you know, with him blocking in line. Um, he didn't really see a lot of targets in training camp. Um, he played extensively in a lot of these preseason games. And then in week one, we saw him only play 25 snaps and he only got one target. So that just continued these questions about his um, his long-term future in Miami. Outside of him, I would say probably the most notable, um, some of the more notable players uh, that's coming up is uh, Christian Wilkins, who was a uh, first-round pick out of Clemson in 2019. They just exercised his fifth-year option. So, obviously, he's going to be um, with the team for another year. But um, he's definitely a, uh, an extension candidate after a career year last year. And I think he got off to a really good start in week one. Uh, that's actually a really minor list of players for an NFL team to have in kind of contract years. Uh, Tua is in his second year, correct? Third year. Third year. Okay, so he's a candidate for extension perhaps after this year. He is, but obviously there's still some questions about, you know, his, his ceiling. Um, I, Obviously, I think the big question after, after this season will be whether they exercise his fifth-year option, and I think that that would tell a lot. Obviously, his draft classmates, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, those guys are probably going to get really big deals um, unless Tua really just breaks out in year three. I, I don't see that happening, um, but it's, it's obviously um, a possibility with Tua. All right, outstanding. Uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what Tua has done as a passer this year, or as a quarterback in general. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, about what's going on both this year and last year in terms of maybe what you see is different. 
Yeah, so I mean, the first two years into his career, I mean, there's there's no doubt it's been kind of bumpy and consistent. We all know the devastating hip injury that he sustained um, in Alabama. Um, you know, he wasn't really ready to to play as a rookie, so they had Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of take over for him. Um, but you know, he was inserted into the lineup as a rookie in the middle of the season. Um, he had some good moments, had some bad moments. He was a rookie uh, in year one. Um, year two, you know, they get rid of Chan Gailey. They try to institute a new offense that's kind of surrounded or kind of based around his skill sets, a lot of RPOs, quick, quick passes. Partly they did that because they had such a bad offensive line last year. Um, but we all know the turmoil with him and Brian Flores and just the the myriad of injuries they had around him. Um, so now in year three, you know, he's another year removed from the hip injury. Um, you know, he and people around him will say that, you know, he's in the best physical shape of his life since the injury. Um, he, they worked on some of the arm strength questions that has kind of dogged him throughout his uh, career. And really it's just another year of like being in the NFL, seeing NFL defenses. And obviously with McDaniel being in a, a system that really fits his skill set. So getting the ball out on time where wide receivers can get yards after the catch. All right. Outstanding. Certainly have some have some great receivers for that. The uh, mesh point in particular is something that that Tua has to really master. And this is something we're, we're seeing as a problem with the Ravens at times. Certainly in the preseason without Lamar there, it was just a, a, a complete mess. But how are the current backs in terms of, in particularly Mostert comes from a system in, in San Francisco where I guess that was used a fair amount. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of play action. I mean, I think that uh, the Dolphins use play action on like 45% of their dropbacks in week one. So um, a real point of emphasis has been the timing of it all, you know, um, from from that mesh point to, real, to really sell the fake. Because if you don't sell the fake, I mean, if it doesn't look like it's going to be a run, defenses aren't going to, aren't going to you know, uh, go to that. Um, so they've really been working on the mesh point, the timing of that, and then really the timing of the footwork to really make sure everything is on time. Because if, you know, one, if there's one hitch that's just kind of off point with, with the mesh point, the play action, the fake, and then the delivery of the ball, you're not going to get the yak and you might not even complete the pass. So that's really been a big emphasis for them early on. Yeah, it's you probably remember from your time in Baltimore initially, Jackson had a lot of point, uh, trouble in 2019, even when he had MVP season, going all the way into the mesh point and then bringing it out to pass the ball. Yeah. But but what we've uh, you know seen this year, I think, is that Jackson has been doing a much better job of selling the fake after a non-pull. So that, that game against the Jets, you probably watched it a little bit. There were about three plays where he pulled out and and started to run. I thought that was much better, and I thought he did a good job of taking defenders with him on those plays. And I was kind of wondering if Tua, if you'd seen some of that from him as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're seeing that the follow through with the fake as well, and to really accentuate it and make it look like it's a it's a run. So that's definitely something that they're continuing to work on with him. All right, outstanding. Let's go through the offensive line a little bit. Uh, talk through kind of state player by player. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with the left tackle, which we kind of briefly spoke on. Um, Teron Armstead, you know, multiple-time Pro Bowler with the um, New Orleans Saints. Um, you know, he set the record, the combine record for the fastest 40 time by offensive lineman. So he, he fits into that speed mode. Um, he, they really see him as maybe having like a Trent Williams type of influence. You know, obviously they, you know, when they got – Trent Williams from Washington to San Francisco, he really laid the foundation for that offensive line. They really built their run game around him, you know, in terms of, you know, blocking and whatnot. Um, so, you know, he, he's really helped in that aspect. You know, the, the thing for him is they're always hoping that he, he stays healthy because that's been the knock on him in his career, that he hasn't been able to play a full 16 games or now 17 games. And he said that that's a, that's a hope for him. Um, he had a brief injury scare in week one, but he was able to come and finish the game. But, I mean, when he's out there, I mean, you see how locked down he is, you know, the the reaction time, the getting off the the snap, kind of stonewalling pass rushes. You see, you, you, you see that he, he's a real gamer. 
Uh, when he moved over to left guard, Liam Eikenberg, like you mentioned before, um, they kind of moved him around in training camp as a rookie last year, right tackle, left tackle inside. Um, you know, he, he mainly played a left tackle, but, um, you know, they kind of, uh, they, they just scrapped that. They wanted to move him inside and they wanted to keep him inside to really work at that. Um, had kind of a rough week one outing, you know, you, like you mentioned, the, the arm length is sometimes an issue. Um, you know, he's kind of a, one of those guys where he may not have all the traits, you know, the size, speed, and all that, but he usually, he's usually so technically sound. Um, you know, that, that was the thing in Notre Dame. He was so technically sound that he, like, barely gave up sacks. Um, but you're seeing the NFL, some of those, some of these bigger shiftier, faster uh, interior linemen and defensive linemen sometimes are just getting the best of him. Um, so they're still working with him. Um, center Connor Williams, who they signed from the Dallas Cowboys, he was a he was a left guard, but they decided they wanted to put him at center. Um, he's had some snap issues. You know, I know that's uh, that's always been always an issue in Baltimore. So there's some uh, snap issues in Miami. Honestly, it kind of threw off the first play of the game, um, where you know they could have had Tyree kill for a long 80-yard touchdown in the first play of the game, but just because of the the snap was too high, it threw off the timing. Um, but otherwise, I think he graded out pretty well in Week One, especially in line blocking. Um, you go to Robert Hunt, he was really the most most consistent of the young offense of Lyman, um, a mid-round pick from Louisiana, um, Lafayette a, a couple years ago. Um, you know, he has great uh, um, quickness, he's agile. He has some strength to him. I'm sure everyone will remember that uh, that kind of hilarious moment from last thir- uh, last uh, Sunday, excuse me, last year's Thursday night game where he picked up the fumble and, you know, got upended and uh, just made for a viral moment. Um, but they see him as kind of maybe one of the breakout candidates on the offensive line just because he's so consistent and because this team fits him so well. And then you kind of round that out with uh, Austin Jackson at right tackle, who was a, a number 18 overall pick from the 2020 draft out of USC. Um, he's kind of the opposite of Liam Eikenberg. He has all the traits, but sometimes the technique isn't there, and he kind of opens them up too much or doesn't op- well, open up wide enough and just kind of lets himself to, to getting overwhelmed. Um, you know, he uh, left week one with an ankle injury. Um, they're monitoring that, so that's something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, and if he doesn't play, it seems like Greg Little, who was a second-round pick or early-round pick from a couple years ago, he would step in at right tackle. Incredible amount of investment in that offensive line. Tron Armstead, I saw a very favorable contract this year. Then he starts to get make about $20 million a year, or cap hit of about $20 million a year next yep. year. And and the other, I mean, you, the guys you mentioned otherwise are either tremendous draft capital or free agents that, that have been uh, uh, signed. So all first, second round picks pretty much yeah. uh let's talk about the wide receiver core and and uh boy uh that looks the most scary of any unit yeah most definitely i mean tyreek uh he, he said it uh kind of best he said him and Jalen water are like a ferrari and a lambo um so again you know i think Jalen water was probably the guy that mike mcdaniel was most excited to work with just you know he broke anquan Bolden's rookie reception record um you, you see that dynamic speed and playmaking ability we all saw it on that 42 yard catch and run in, uh, in week one um so they, they just feel like with him being paired up with tyreek hill i mean you're just going to see more explosiveness and you know, that certainly was the case on week one tyreek hill the cheetah it all kind of speaks for himself i mean they're going to just find so many ways to get the ball in his hands. He had 12 targets. He had a carry. Um, they gave him the ball in all types of ways, and that's just going to continue. Um, and then you kind of go into Cedric Wilson, who's kind of the, the prototypical slot receiver. I mean, he logged like 90% of his snaps from the slot in Dallas. Um, he kind of rounds out that group. But then you still have some guys like Trent Sherfield, who was in San Francisco with Mike McDaniel. He's just kind of a shorthanded guy, knows where to be. River Craycraft, who was he's on the practice squad, but he was elevated. Um, Eric Desukama, who was a kind of a surprise scratch. He was a fourth-round pick out of Texas Tech. He's a big-bodied um, guy who's just hard to bring down. He's great with contested catches, um, but he's a rookie, so they're bringing him along slowly, um, slowly there. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of speed there. And again, like the the mission with that group is just yards after the catch. So they just want to get these guys in space. 
How's the how's the mix of formation between eleven and ten for this team? Has the has the team played any ten in week one? No, they didn't play any ten. I don't think that they will. I think eleven was their most used personal grouping. And that's that's certainly the most used across the NFL. I don't know if you heard, but the Ravens set the uh, I don't know if they set a record. But they had only four eleven snaps in week one. Oh my which is by far the lowest in the NFL. And I, I, I see Miami as a team that they probably could play 10 if they wanted to. You know, you got the mobile quarterback. You might don't mind going empty as much. You, 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 you can, and, and some of playing 10 might be Jacecki, uh, uh, maybe in line or, or, uh, or even flexed as, as one of your guys. But the, mm-hmm. but the thing is, I don't think the Ravens cornerbacks match up all that well, uh, especially after an injury to Fuller here. They, they're, they're young and, uh, and it, it might be something that, uh, that the Dolphins try and do. But uh, let's uh, keep going here and talk maybe about the tight end group. Yeah, so uh, this is a group that had a lot of attention during um, training camp, again, just because of the, the shift to that Shanahan style offense. We talked about Mike Kosecki, who's kind of struggled to transition into that uh, that um, that role. He was outsnapped by uh, Durham Smythe, 25 to 37. Durham Smythe uh, was in the same uh, draft class as Mike Kosecki, got a new deal. He kind of has the best combination of blocking and catching skills, but I don't think that he's necessarily somebody that's going to scare the Dolphins, but um, he's, he's reliable. That's the best way to put it. Um, outside of that, they have Hunter Long who was a third round pick from a couple years ago. Didn't get a ton of snaps as a rookie. Didn't get a ton of snaps in week one, but they really liked his ability as a pass catcher and really growing into that role um, as a blocker as well. Um, Stephen Carter, who's more of kind of a special teams ace, um, he was knocked out with a concussion in week one. Um, I have a hard time believing he'll be able to kind of turn around in time and uh, enough time to play. And then they have this um, kind of mysterious undrafted rookie, Tanner Connor, who's a, I think he's, I believe he's from Idaho State. He was a wide receiver, but they converted him to tight end. He really turned heads. He runs a 437. He's about 6'4, 6'5. Um, so he's kind of real. Of, I mean, again, it's speed, speed, speed. Um, he he did, um, he is dealing with a knee injury. So I'm not sure if he'll be ready um, to kind of be that fourth tight end up if, um, if uh, Tanner, uh, excuse me, Stephen Carter isn't ready to go. So I noticed the the uh, the Dolphins used a fullback on a fair number of plays in Week One, and Ingold was in there. And I, it, what what are they? What are those? Is the magic formula to twelve and twenty one personnel for them? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that you know, for first off, the Dolphins led the NFL in uh, twelve personnel, one running back, two tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they did so they had so many tight ends, but um, you know, twenty one was their most was their second most used personnel grouping um, on Sunday, and we saw um, Alec Ingold really use kind of like a hybrid tight end, kind of similar to Kyle Juszczyk, where you know he's lining up in the backfield, he's also in line, he's also um, you know spread out a little bit. They they threw a deep pass to Alec Ingold, um, so I really think that you know that. Those two running back sets with Alec Ingold really might replace the, the the two tight end sets with Mike Gusecki and Jerem Smythe. Okay, so that that definitely we might see a matchup game play there play a little because I don't really see a lot of use for Kyle Hamilton against the wide receivers that the Dolphins can can project uh, can put on the field. But that that you know it might be that uh, you know Ingold or Gusecki on the field is a good matchup for Hamilton. Having to think ahead because the Ravens don't have a lot of cornerbacks to work with. Yeah. And so you got to figure out how do you make use good use of big nickel when you have it. The Ravens have two good safeties that want to play every play in in uh, in Clark and Marcus Williams who both look great in week one. But in the in uh, in the case of that third safety, they got to figure out how to scheme him onto the field. So you can scheme him on a, in dime packages, which they did a lot. But they can also scheme him in a big nickel if your opponent really if that makes sense for the opponent. And and, and I don't know if it does for Miami honestly. Yeah, that's to... the thing. Yeah, yeah, I think of the same thing. So uh, uh. 
I think we talked enough about the formations, but how, how do you expect them to attack the Ravens? What do you think that they'll use most commonly and, and uh, to come out and beat who the Ravens have on defense? Yeah, well, I mean, like we said, I mean, I think that the strength and where the Dolphins can really exploit the Ravens' defense is in that secondary. Even if Marcus, Peter, Marcus Peters is back on Sunday, I mean, he's, I mean, it's going to be his first game back in over a year. Um, I, I think that game one showed that the Dolphins aren't afraid to like throw the ball. This, this, there's this notion, early notion that McDaniel's a run girl and um, he's going to run the ball 35 times a game. I mean, they ran the ball 23 times, got 65 yards. I mean, they they were throwing the ball late. Um, so I expect them to use a lot of 11 personnel. I mean, it seems like with this Mike McDonald um, defense in Baltimore, they're, they're doing more two high shape safety shells. Um, if they want to do that, I think that Mike McDaniel will have no problem really attacking the intermediate part of the field, you know, a lot of deep in cuts and whatnot. So I would expect that. And obviously they're, they're, they're going to want to get the uh, run game going. So a lot of misdirection to kind of ward off the aggressiveness of that, uh, of that defense. Because, you know, with, with the speed, with the speed of this offense, if you make one misstep, that could be a house call. Yeah, we, one thing we saw in week one was that the Ravens' defensive line was kind of the uh, ugly duckling who we recognized as a swan. And you probably remember from your time in Baltimore, the Ravens under Wink Martindale liked a lot of these multiple outside linebacker packages on passing downs where they had three, four, and at times even five uh, often outside linebackers on the field at the same time. Well, this week, they didn't have you know three outside linebackers. Basically, it was all they had on the entire roster. They had a lot of snaps with only one. But they didn't have any snaps with more than two. So wow. they were using defensive linemen to rush the passer. And they got tremendous pressure against a good yep. Jets interior defensive line. Any fear there about how players like Eichenberg and uh, and even Hunt will hold up against, uh, against that kind of pressure? Almost oh, definitely. I mean, we saw it in the week one matchup where Calais Campbell had his way inside. I mean, he was ragdolling people. Obviously, with Connor Williams in there, you hope that for, for a little bit better uh, production and pass production. But, um, you know, Justin Maddie, BK, Michael Pierce, I mean, is that do- uh, the Dolphins offensive line and stuff, you're going to have his hands full. Yeah. All right. So Connor Williams, it looks like he had a pretty good game in week one as a pass blocker in particular. So, or as a pass blocker and a run blocker, it looks like really. Yeah. All right. Outstanding. Uh, let's flip it over to the defense. I know we're on a, tight, a kind of a tight time constraint here, but I appreciate you delivering this information so quickly. The, the most important question for me is what's the base um, pass defense look. So if, when, it's, when it's down in distance is the overriding factor. What do the Dolphins like to play as a pass defense, assuming the other teams in, in a neutral formation like 11? Yeah, in 11, obviously, they'll, they'll kind of um, match that with, um, you know, a, a nickel set. Um, you know, we all know Xavier Howard, one of the best cornerbacks in the in the NFL. Um, they do have some cornerback depth questions with Byron Jones, their other boundary cornerback, being on the pup list, so he'll miss this game. Um, so they've been kind of mixing and matching. They can eat him, it's usually their slot cornerback. Um, but, you know, they have two other guys, Kater Koku, an undrafted rookie, and Keon Cross, a special teams guy. Um, they've kind of mixed and matched. So when Carson is in the game, they've moved him to the boundary and put need him in the slot. If uh, Koku is in there, they'll put him in a slide and move Needham out to the boundary. So they they are a mix and match in that group right now. So the, the, I, I think the question really pertains to what happens to the weak side linebacker on those plays, assuming and and does do they bring out a linebacker and replace that with a safety on passing downs, or do they assuming neutral personnel, not that the other team puts ten personnel on the field. Yeah, yeah, it depends. I mean, a lot of times they, they do like putting uh, Eric Rowe as, a, as an extra defensive back to kind of match up with, with the tight end. Or, um, you know, sometimes they will keep Jalen Phillips and then Andrew Van Ginkle, the two outside linebackers out there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Outstanding. 
Uh, I, I want to always talk about rotation and snap management on the defensive line. So definitely, I think how, how well rotated is that Dolphins defensive line? How deep are they in order to handle, you know, potentially a high snap count if the Ravens ever get their run game going? Yeah, they are very deep on the defensive line. I think that that group is headlined by Emmanuel Agba, um, you know, former Cleveland Brown, Kansas City Chief, who's um, kind of really had a rejuvenation of his career in uh, Miami. Past two seasons, nine sacks. He's their defensive end. Uh, they have Christian Wilkins, like I mentioned, who's uh, kind of a defensive tackle. Um, uh, lines up, you know, in between the guard and the tackle a lot of times. Um, Raekwon Davis, who I guess the best way to put it, he, he's more uh, Brandon Williams. You know, takes up a lot of. Uh, you know, uh, double teams and open stuff up for the linebackers to flow. Um, then we have Zach Sealer, who I know a lot of people are uh, familiar with this days back in Baltimore. He's, he's, he's been playing really well. I mean, he might be one of the more underrated players in the NFL. Um, so he'll line up a lot, D-tack, the three-tack, and, you know, outside at a, and and whatnot. So they have a, a pretty deep group there. Really, really love Zach Sealer when he was with the Ravens. It was unfortunate they had to kind of expose him, but they were just they were out of roster spots and it, with the depth they had. Uh, he was actually at that amazing 2018 draft class for the Ravens. He was the first to get an extension. It's, yeah. it's incredible, you know, with all the with all the things going on. But the Ravens had to piece by piece dismantle that class uh, with first the trade of Hurst and then the trade, of course, of Orlando Brown because they couldn't they weren't going to be able to pay them all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and you know they're still haven't got it got the deal done with Jackson yet. Yeah, of course. Uh, all right, so so good solid defensive line, solid run and pass. What what uh, in terms of the rush you get from the from the interior? Yeah, I think that um, Zach Sealer has really provided the juice um, interior. Um, Christian Wilkins is his start as one proving he set a career high um, with four and a half sacks last year. Raekwon Davis isn't really much of a of a pass rusher, but um, you know, you have, not only do you have Agbo who can rush inside and out, you have Melvin Ingram who they signed um, who can also rush inside and out. So they, they can get it from a lot of multiple uh, areas. All right. Uh, let's move up to that linebacker core. Talk about those guys. And, and are they... I, are they almost a committed nickel team, or is this a team that that they they're happy to bring a linebacker off the field when necessary? And I kind of asked that question already, but yeah, yeah, mo- yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Obviously, they have the the main edge guys will be Jalen Phillips, the first round pick from last year, Andrew Van Ginkle, who's kind of just a steady, reliable um, glue guy. Um, he didn't play a lot, but he's coming back from an appendectomy. Melvin Ingram played a lot um, outside, and like I said, they'll move from inside. I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't mind moving him, uh, moving, taking one of those guys out in the interior linebacker, or excuse me, inside linebacker. Um, you know, they have Jerome Baker, who's kind of the, the – the communication guy he holds the green dot um but it's um but they don't mind taking you know one of those guys out and like i said putting eric Rowe in there to, to match up with a tight end depending on you know the, the offense okay so i'm seeing duke riley is another yeah. guy who plays some inside and yeah he's more of a pass guy landon roberts will be their their early down one guy um but they'll, they'll definitely mix and match those guys i mean depending on the match i expect to, i expect to see a lot of duke riley you know they they played him a lot um in that matchup last year they actually played duke riley at middle linebacker and they moved jerome baker out to outside he'll he'll move out to the edge a bit too um just to kind of neutralize that speed of lamar jackson Interesting. Okay, so maybe that explains it because I'm only seeing about two snaps here that they would have been without an inside linebacker if those two, if those three played exclusively inside. Yeah. So, okay. Very good. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on. Talk about the secondary then. The uh, uh, you did mention uh, some of this already in terms of of how they line up. Do they match up generally, or do they are they a team that likes to uh, play strict ref, right corner, left corner slot? Yeah, they don't they don't match up a ton, really depending on the matchup. Sometimes Xavier Howard, who's their their star shutdown cornerback, sometimes he'll travel. Um, 
but he didn't travel on uh he didn't travel on last Sunday. I don't anticipate they'll do that. They're not like a, a big zone cover through uh a big zone team where they they stay on the left side or right side. So it really just uh depends on what the defense is called. Um, you know, they love to play a lot of a lot of cover one, a lot of single high. Um so again, you'll see a lot of man-to-man coverage, even even with Byron Jones being out with you. They played a lot of man. Um, but again, like I said, they're they're mix and matching what they do in nickel just because they have to kind of account for Byron Jones being out and you know the matchups uh, that are taking place. But in the in the um, back end of the uh, secondary, you have Javon Holland, who's kind of a break kind of breakout candidate, um, second round pick from Oregon last year. I mean, he's just. He, he's just a, a center fielder, kind of. I don't want to. I, I don't want to invoke the name of Ed Reed, but you know, when you when you see him, kind of, kind of patrol the back end, you just kind of get some images of that. He said Ed Reed is kind of a kind of an inspiration of, of his. Um, Every can, safety, <laughs> of, of course, of course. But but Javon Holland can also play, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but they blitzed. Sadly, uh, yes. Yeah, they, they blitzed <laughs> uh, him like two dozen times, and as well as Brandon Jones, who's also more of kind of a more than Chuck Clark. Uh, more where you know he's better close to the line of scrimmage but don't blitz him a lot as well since he brought it up i it was next on my list anyway but but uh the the game last year in miami it was a very difficult one for the ravens of course it started their losing streak and the big thing that that happened in that game was 40 cover zero blitzes and i all you know the looks were basically line up everybody along the edge uh you know less the guys to cover eligible receivers that all were about six yards off the line of scrimmage every single play. Uh, and, you know, basically he said the defense coordinator said, you know, we're going to keep running this until you prove you can stop it. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you really remember from this game, but it was a ton of all out blitzes where they dropped guys from the interior. So you had Adam Butler, a nose tackle <laughs> dropped yeah. 18 times into coverage in that game, which, you know, the Ravens dropped Michael Pierce twice into coverage last year. People are, you know, are, are wondering about it, you know, yeah. but 18 times in one game. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's what they do. I mean, a lot of times they'll show the coverage they'll look, but they won't necessarily bring an all out blitz. Um, you know, they, a lot of this is about not necessarily bringing, I mean, a lot of times they, they, they will bring four guys, but they'll manipulate the protection and they'll confuse their protection to the point where you have a guy coming off the edge, you have a guy coming up the middle. And like you said, um, you know, the Josh Boyer, the defense coordinator that was retained after force was fired. I mean, he'll do that. I mean, last game in week one, he had Raekwon Davis, the big defensive tackle dropping into those kind of hook zones and whatnot. Um, so it's kind of funny that they have very similar defense to Miami and Baltimore's, which made it so confusing why um, Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson had so much trouble kind of stopping that. I, I, that's a great point. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm interested to hear that. We were kind of talking about it in terms of the uh, looking forward to the Miami game a little bit on the offensive show and making sure that the Ravens would have some answer and they better go in with an answer to, to, you know, take the top off that defense or do whatever else they need to do to attack it uh, and, and not be, without that answer and searching for two or three quarters to find it. But uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see. It's interesting that even with the change in defensive coordinator, you're telling me there could be some of the same tendencies. No, most definitely, yes. All right. Outstanding. So uh, in terms of the Ravens' weapons, uh, you know, Jackson, Bateman, Andrews, uh, after week one, we might have to say Duvernay. How do you expect them to, to line up to try and stop the Ravens and contain Jackson? Yeah, again, I don't think this is a, a wide receiver match, cornerback matchup where, you know, they're going to feel compelled to put Xavier Howard on a particular player. I think that they're going to do what they normally do. Um, obviously, Andrews is going to be someone that maybe requires a little more attention. They don't they don't have a lot of great 
players to kind of cover tight ends. Eric Rose, probably that guy, but he actually missed week one with a pectoral injury. So it remains to be seen whether he'll even play. If not, I think we're going to have to divert a little more attention. Maybe Duke Riley, Jerome Baker, spend a little more time by shadowing Andrews. Um, but again, I mean, I see it as a situation where they play man and they just dare the way Ravens wide receivers to, to make plays, which they weren't able to do last season. Okay, so that's that certainly changes it. There are two things about that that I wanted to, wanted to hit on. Week one, saw Sauce Gardner, by far the best the Jets can offer, uh, moved over to Andrews to, to cover him uh, in, in a lot of man situations. So they, they, they were willing to let the Ravens through other wide receivers to, and take their chances with them, and, and they made some plays. And that's actually very interesting because I, I do recall some matchups. Um, it was particularly against last year when the Dolphins played the Falcons or in some kind of crunch situation. Like they even Howard actually did cover Kyle Pitts. I'm not sure if they feel compelled to do that this time out just because Byron Jones is out. I mean, they didn't really do that. Uh, they didn't really do that last year in last year's matchup. But just given the fact that Byron Jones is out, and you have some inexperienced guys behind him, I think that they will take their chances with, you know, on the outside and then letting, you know, Mark Andrews do his damage if he can. Okay. And the other the other question would be versus play action concepts the Ravens run all the time. And Isaiah likely had a very bad first game, but after a great preseason, the the inside linebackers, how is their awareness between level two and level three in terms of making plays on the football? You were here for a lot of the uh, well, a lot of a lot of inside linebackers since CJ Mosley, who who have not been very aware in terms of what's going on between level two and three. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the thing about this group where, you know, especially with Jerome Baker and uh, and um, Duke Corral, you know, they are fast guys. Maybe the awareness isn't there to necessarily in terms of route recognition and route concepts. Um, Landon Roberts, really, I think that if he's on the field, uh, maybe that's something that they can exploit with those two tight end sets just because he just doesn't have the foot speed um, to keep up with an Isaiah Likely, maybe even a Mark Andrews. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to have to work the middle of the field and to really get those, uh, those inside linebackers and some binds. I don't think this is a game where you necessarily want to go. I mean, I know a lot of Ravens fans are frustrated about the lack of 11 personnel, but I'm not sure this is a game where you want to do that. You want to put more of that speed on the field um, to, in terms of, you know, chasing down Lamar Jackson. I think maybe um, you don't want to play the game in a phone booth because I feel like that's how it was last year. Uh, but I think that there are maybe, in terms of the inside linebackers and tight ends, there's some matchups to be won there. All right. All right. Outstanding stuff. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. This is uh, we appreciate the time limitations you have today. But uh, tell folks where they can find your work, uh, whether it's on Twitter or uh, where they can read. Yeah, well, um, you know, first off, you can find all my Dolphins updates. So this week it'll be Dolphins, Ravens updates, and I'll, I'll definitely chime in a little bit more on the opposing team than usual. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel Ifusi. Um, that's uh, O-Y-E-F-U-S-I on the last name. Miami Herald, MiamiHerald.com if you want to read some of my work. Okay. Outstanding, Dan. Great to see a friendly face uh, after uh, an absence here. Uh, other folks out there, if you're listening to this and you'd like to be on a film study short, I'm still going to be doing about one of those per week. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. Love to hear from you. 25, 30-minute topic. Nice and narrow. Nothing about how you restructure the entire organization and you want to talk offense and defense. and you know, Got to be narrow to, to, to get on this, but uh, I'll get back to you very quickly. We'll get you on within a week. Uh, Dan, thanks again for joining us. Anytime. And we'll talk to you next time on Films. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.